All right, if you will turn with me to Acts chapter 15, starting in the new chapter today. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 12, so if you can find your place there. Um, while, you're wait, while we're waiting to read through Acts 15, 1 to 12, I want to walk you through a, a couple verses out of Ephesians this morning to get started. And this is something that um, my kids play sports at the Christian Center, and um, they do devotions before each game. And one of the guys who many of you might know him, Chad Bailey, he's the director there. Thanks. Chad has a, a devotion I've heard him give a number of times about Ephesians chapter 2, verses eight and nine. And so I'm going to walk you through it, and I'm going to ask you to do motions with me, okay? Because we're not so dignified that we can't do motions, right? So he explains to the kids, he says, for it is by grace, and as he's walking them through, he says he lifts his arms up like this because grace is something that we receive from God. So he lifts his arms up, so he Lift your arms up, for it is by grace you have been saved. And he describes a shepherd saving a sheep in a dangerous situation by using the hook of a staff. And so, by grace you have been saved through faith. And he talks with the kids about how faith is believing in your heart. It's a heart thing that uh, it's, it's not just... Uh, a mental acknowledgement of who God is and what Christ did, but believing in your heart that it is real um, and that he did what he did and that it's truth. So, um, so it's for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. And he shakes his finger like this to kind of say, no, no, it's not anything you've done. It is the gift of God, and he holds out his hands to receive a gift. So it's not anything that we're able to do, but it's something God gives us. Not by works, and so he's done a number of things. Most recently, he's pretending to wash windows. Not by works, not by the things that we do that we're saved, so that no one can boast. And boasting, he flexes his muscles, so that no one can boast, because, you know, People who have big muscles like to show people how big their muscles are. So, all right, so let's do it all together, okay? Um, except I'm not going to explain it. We're just going to do the motions. So, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. Okay, so he does that um, every season, whether it's baseball, softball, soccer, whatever it is. He does it at least one time every season. Uh, he did it the other day, and he said, I know I just did this last week, but this is one of my favorites. So he did it twice in, in a one-week span. So um, this message... This idea that we're saved by grace and that God has done all the work for us and that, the, that we cannot do the work at all, that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, is something that 
Paul wrote to the Ephesians in the first century in the letter um, to the church in Ephesus. But um, Ephesus at the time was a city of great importance. It was, and they and they boasted in their greatness. It was probably at the time that he wrote it. It was probably the second most important city in the world, second only to Rome. Um, so it was a culture that loved how great they were, and they loved to show it. Um, and so Paul is reminding the church there when he writes this letter to them that. We don't boast in ourselves. We don't boast in what we can do or what we've accomplished because we're not saved by our greatness. We're not saved by how wonderful we are. We're not saved by the things that we do. We're, we're saved by grace and grace alone. But before Paul ever visited Ephesus and established a church and wrote that message to them, he was battling that same battle and had to teach that same lesson to some Jews whose theology was quite messed up. And so we, we see the interaction that he has with them here um, in the beginning of chapter 15. And then they say, this is such a big issue. We need to call a church council and talk to the apostles. So let's look at what we're going to talk about. This today is all about how Paul and then he's supported by the other apostles trying to get through to people that we cannot do anything to affect our salvation. We can't, we can't do anything else to save ourselves. It's only through grace. And we're going to look at it today because it's a message that still hasn't sunk in in its fullest, I think, even today. So if you're able to stand, would you please stand to honor God as we read his word? Acts 15. So Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch at this time. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, um, other versions say they were in sharp dispute with them, so this was a heated discussion. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. So they're telling the Jerusalem church about the, his first missionary journey through Asia Minor. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, 
why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Let's pray. God, as we open your word here to Acts 15, I pray for wisdom and insight to be granted to us to know not only what you're communicating, but how that affects us today. Um, We want to be people who understand that we're saved by grace, and we want to be people who live that way. It's one thing to acknowledge it. It's another thing to let that change the way we live. Um, So I pray that you would teach us and grow us and mature us in our faith today. In Jesus' name, amen. Go and have a seat. All right, so the two points on your sermon notes um, are, um, well, I can't give you both of them or else you'll know the answers. So the first point in your sermon notes is that trusting in the law guarantees failure. Trusting in the law, meaning trusting in the law for your salvation, guarantees failure. Now, I want you to listen to the extent of their statements when they were raising this stink in Antioch and then in Jerusalem. In Antioch, they said, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You cannot be saved unless you do these things. And then in Jerusalem, they said this, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So they are claiming that these actions, mainly circumcision, but circumcision is a part of the law, and so it's encompassed in their understanding that the law of Moses is still to be observed. They're claiming that those things are necessary for salvation. So according to their thinking, Christ's sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the dead were not sufficient in and of themselves to grant salvation to anybody. So the cross and the resurrection become things that supplement the law of Moses. Because you got to remember, these are not Jews who are arguing against Christian theology. These are Christians. They're part of the church. They're called believers. They're called brothers. Um, But they belong to... Uh, they're, in Jerusalem, we find out that they're uh, Christians who are Pharisees, so f- that, you know, that, that was still a group of people who were operating, and they were um, in charge of basically the religious side of the culture, but also doubt, got into like some political stuff and some legal um, affairs among the culture. So they were believers who had given their life to Christ, but they were holding on to this understanding that you still had to obey the law of Moses. And circumcision, you'll remember, was how God's people in the Old Testament identified themselves with him. Their identity was wrapped up in God, and the, the physical evidence of that covenant that they were a part of was circumcision. This 
misunderstanding on their part completely undermines the life and the ministry of Christ. So Paul and Barnabas came into sharp dispute with them because they were essentially proclaiming a false gospel. And I want you to think about it, uh, just think about this logically for a minute. If, if we only, if, if they only needed the law, if they only needed to observe the law and keep the law to be saved, then what was the point of Christ even coming? So these are people who are part of the church, but they're saying, here is here is the necessary component for salvation. So my question then would be, well, then why are you even following Christ? Because you're putting all of your hope in the keeping of the law. And my other question about this text is, why is this coming to the surface right now? Because these are not the first Gentiles that are being welcomed into the church. You know, the people in Antioch and the people that Paul had uh, shared the gospel with in his first missionary journey, those were Gentiles who were coming to faith in Christ, but they're not the first Gentiles who were welcomed into the church. So, so it's not like this is the, a new thing. We've got to figure out how we're going to move forward with it. Until Paul began to expand the gospel reach into Asia Minor, this hadn't even been an issue. You'll recall, we've talked about in Acts chapter 10, when we studied 10, that Peter went to Cornelius' household, it was a Gentile household, because God called him to go, and Peter shared the gospel with Cornelius' household, and they gave their life to Christ. And I don't remember anywhere in the text where when Peter came back and gave his defense in front of the Jerusalem church, because they did hear that he went into the house of a Gentile. They confronted him about it when he got back. He gave a defense of everything that happened and why he did it. And at the end of that defense, their response was, so God has granted salvation to even the Gentiles as well. And they rejoiced. Nowhere do we read that there was a demand for those people in his household to be circumcised and to follow the law of Moses. So with Peter, who's the leader of the leaders in the early church, setting precedent that God has extended the reach of the gospel to the Gentiles, why is this now all of a sudden coming to light or coming to the surface, I mean? Um, why is it now a problem when it wasn't before? And I don't know if we will ever understand the fullness of it, but let me tell you something that I do think is happening. Paul has now taken the gospel out of the area. So Antioch was quite a bit north of Judea. That was, that was into Gentile territory, but it was fairly close. Paul has now taken the gospel to Asia Minor, which so he's gone. He's he's sailed over and uh, landed in the area of what would be like Turkey, that area today. And he traveled around to the different towns, sharing the gospel, establishing churches. It is now beginning to expand, and I'm. I think there is a fear on the part of the Jews or the Christians, sorry, in Jerusalem 
that the church that they are now a part of, that they're trying to uh, be faithful to their Lord and Savior, the church is now becoming predominantly Gentile because as Paul expanded his missionary journey and those churches are going to reach out and they're going to win more converts. And um, we, Paul has not left for a second missionary journey, but Paul's goal is always to go to places where the gospel is not shared and to, and to win people. So it's going to continue to expand and expand and expand into the Gentile world. And I'm wondering if there was a fear that this is becoming over or, or dominated mostly by Gentile believers. And so Peter decides to stand up and um, as the Holy Spirit guides him to address the issue. And he brings back in our second point, we're going to look at how trusting in grace guarantees victory. And Peter brings back this uh, account of when he went and shared the, the gospel with Cornelius's household, and he uses that as a defense. So, trusting in grace guarantees victory. Can you move? There you go. Um, and we're going to look at three things that Peter shared with them. There are three points he makes here. The first point is that God is the one who chose to save the Gentiles. It's not Peter. Peter didn't make a decision. You know what? I think I need to go and we need to get some more people into this thing we call the church. So I'm going to go outside of Judea and share the gospel. He only went because God called him and he couldn't, he couldn't argue with God's call. And so he, he says God is the one who chose to save the Gentiles. And that's demonstrated through his call to Peter to share the gospel with the specific household uh, where Cornelius was the... Um, was the head of the household. And so Gentile household, Peter wouldn't have gone, but God called him to. So that's, God chose to save the Gentiles and he demonstrated that through his call to Peter. The second thing Peter tells them is that God knows every person's heart and he accepted them. He accepted the Gentiles in Cornelius' household. We can't be in a right relationship with God if he doesn't purify our hearts. And so when God purified their hearts and God accepted them into the fellowship of his people, he showed that this was, it was his decision to, to expand the gospel to the Gentiles and it was his decision to welcome them into the family. It's demonstrated by the giving of the Holy Spirit to indwell Cornelius' household. God doesn't give his spirit to indwell someone unless they are in a saving relationship with him. His spirit will, in, will direct and coordinate and sometimes use even non-believers to accomplish his will, but his spirit doesn't indwell someone, like permanently indwell someone, unless they're in a saving relationship with him. And so God, he knows their heart, he purified their heart, he accepted them, and he gave evidence to that by giving them the Holy Spirit. And Peter even says, talks about how he gave them the Holy Spirit just as God had given the apostles at the beginning. The third thing that Peter says to the group is that um, God purifies both Jew, the hearts of both Jew and Gentile and therefore makes no distinction between the two. In fact, 
Um, I didn't write these in my notes, but there, if you read through Peter's address, there are four places where Peter makes this very clear um, comparison or, or um, he, he uses us and them or, um, um, let me look at the text again. He, he uses that kind of language where four times where he's saying he's comparing the two groups and he's demonstrating to them that there is no distinction between them. So as Peter has shared this with them, he's trying to communicate this message that grace is what we're saved by and grace puts us on equal ground with them. Neither Jew nor Gentile can live up to the perfect standard of the law. So if we are forced to, if our salvation depends on our keeping the law, no one, no one is saved. No one will ever be saved because the law, remember, is a reflection of God's perfect character. No one can live up to that. Jews can't live up to that. Gentiles can't live up to that. And so neither Jew or Gentile can live up to that perfect standard. So both fall short. Both need grace. Both need a Savior. So God sent Jesus. And Peter asks the group, at the, end of his, at the end of his message or his discussion with them, he says, why are you putting God to the test by putting a yoke, this burden on these new believers that are coming into the church? Why are you putting this burden on them that is a burden that we can't carry, our fathers couldn't carry it, nor were we expected to? So why are you placing it on them and expecting them to carry that burden? In other words, if we're not saved as Jews, if we're not saved by works of the law, why are you expecting them to, why, why are you expecting that their salvation is contingent on them keeping the law? It doesn't make sense with the gospel message that we see in Scripture. But according to their cultural background and their belief system and their understanding that they've had for most of their life that the law has to be kept to be in a right relationship with God, it makes sense to them. But Paul and the other apostles put a stop to that right away so that this incorrect teaching is not spread. And Paul, again, Ephesians 2 Eight and nine. Paul hadn't been to Ephesus yet, but we see as Paul goes out, this is a message that is going to become uh, predominant in his writing. We are saved by grace through faith. It's nothing that we can do because we are not able to, but God gives it to us as a gift. It's not a result of our works and that's designed that way for a purpose so that no one can boast. All right, so if we're saved by grace and we can't do anything to affect that, we need to make sure that we understand grace. What does it mean to be saved by grace? I'm gonna, I want to give you, a, I want to share a story with you um, that I think demonstrates grace how, and how it affects salvation. One of my professors at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary um, 
he didn't share this with us like in our class, but I, I saw a book that he wrote, and in that book he shares the story. They had an adopted daughter in his family who was eight years old. She had been previously adopted by another family, and that family never really incorporated her into the family. And so she was never considered one of the full children um, like the biological children were. Um, They had taken more than one, I don't know how many, but they'd taken more than one trips to Disney World. And instead of taking her, they left her with people to care for her while they were gone and they took their biological children. And so this girl who's, you know, younger than eight at the time, had heard all about the wonderful things there, about the rides and just how, just how special of a place it is, and wanted to go, but never got to experience it herself, only just got to hear the stories, which just that part of the story alone, like, makes me want to cry. I'm, like, kind of tearing up. So, um, so she was never considered one of the family. And something happened, and they couldn't keep her, and so she went back up for adoption, and this professor of mine, his family, adopted her. When he learned that, he decided, the next time I have a speaking engagement that's in the southeastern part of the nation, we are planning a trip to Disney, and we're going to take her. And so they had one booked, and her behavior began to really change and got, she began to do some really bad things and she was disobeying and she was disrespectful. She was saying things purposefully that he said that they were words that were crafted just perfectly to hurt somebody's feelings in the family. And, and so her behavior spiraled out of control and he pulled her onto his lap one night and it was, they were pretty close to leaving for the trip and she said, I know what you're going to say. I don't get to go to Disney, do I? And he realized that she was, rather than dealing with the hurt of maybe not being able to go, she was kind of acting out so that there would be a reason because she realized she can't do anything good enough to earn it with her other family, and so she's just taking care of it right now with some bad behavior. And so he asked her, he said, are we, going, are we going on this trip as a family? And she said, yes. And he said, are you a part of this family? And she began to cry, and she said, yes. And he said, your behavior is not good, and there have to be consequences, but we're going as a family to Disney, and you're coming with us. And so he said that her behavior didn't change overnight, but... It did change the first night in the hotel. Um, And they got to go their first day, and she was, they were back in the resort at the end of the day, and she was about to crash, because if you've ever been there, then you know that they're long days and they're tiring. And he came over and he asked her, so how was your first day at Disney? And she started to fall asleep. And then she woke up just enough, opened her eyes just enough to be able to say this. And she said, Daddy, 
I finally got to go to Disney World, but it wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. That's grace. We're made right with God because we are his if we have given our life to Christ. Paul and Barnabas and Peter were telling the Jewish believers that we don't or can't earn God's favor by doing all the right things. They're not saved because they're circumcised or because they follow the law. And we aren't reconciled to God and given salvation in heaven because we don't lie, cheat, or swear, or because we don't do drugs. We don't earn salvation because we live a good life or we're kind to people. We don't earn salvation because of who we vote for or what kind of causes we support or because we give to the church or because we have perfect attendance at church. It doesn't matter if you have a 100% success rate at raising your kids to grow up to be godly adults. And it doesn't matter if you're, for the most part, a pretty faithful person. And the opposite is true as well. We can't lose our salvation because we struggle with these things. We can't do enough good to earn it, and we can't lose it by the number of times we fall short of God's glory. Disney World is considered by a lot of people to be the most magical place on earth. But you know, when you compare it to heaven, it looks like the slums of an inner city. Heaven is the most wonderful of all places where everything is perfect and there is no sickness or sin or sorrow or pain or death, where it is joy everlasting. And the way you get to go and experience that for all of eternity is really simple. It's not because you're good. It's not because of the things you do. It's because you are his. You belong to Christ. Let's pray. God, as we uh, look at this text today, we, we looked at what Peter said in response to the issue. And his point was that we're saved by grace. We're not saved by our works. And so circumcision and keeping the law are no longer things that are requirements for your people. Next week, we're going to look at James and what he says as he addresses them. And I just want to say thank you that our salvation is not, it, do, it doesn't hang on my ability to keep the law and to live up to your perfect standard because I fail every day. So thank you that my salvation hangs on what you did on the cross and the resurrection and the fact that I belong to you. If any of us have places or things or parts of our life where we are putting our hope and and we're living in ways that indicate that we think our salvation is based on other things, things that we do, attitudes that we have, things that we uh, avoid in life. If, if we have anything that has trained our brain to think that way, then I pray that your Holy Spirit would retrain our brain so that we understand that it is grace that saves us, that doesn't give us a right to go out 
and just do whatever we want and and turn back to you and expect grace because this grace it's not of us but it is something that you are that you are using in us to make us more like you so let us be people who live like we are saved by grace through faith and not of our own doing so that we don't boast in anything but in what you have done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.